Welcome, pudding people, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour, with your co-host, Richard Geiger. Say hi, Richard. Hi, Richard. That is always excellent. Excellent. Well, we have brought back our one of our guests that we just had recently on, and you might have heard the first half of our interview. We had so much good stuff to talk about. We couldn't just leave it at the one interview. We do have Larry Elmore, artist extraordinaire, back with us. Was that my <laughs> intro? <laughs> you, sometimes I okay. think we need visual cues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm Larry O'Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are ecstatic to have you back with us, Larry. Well, thank you. So, uh, in our last interview, we kind of we talked about a little bit of your early training and some of your experiences in in wartime and how that led into your uh, your uh, beginning of your career working with the Army still and how that eventually yeah. led into some uh, some work with TSR. Uh, yeah. So we're going to kind of kind of go back just one kind of half step. You know, when you were still at TSR, one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about uh, was specifically uh, a little a little comic strip or a little little comic that you did, uh, Snarf Quest. Yeah. So uh, I I must admit, while I'm I'm fairly familiar personally with quite a bit of of your work, your okay. artwork, I was not completely familiar with snarf quest uh, and i expect that a, a good number of our, our listeners might not be either what exactly was that how'd that form okay well before i went to work at tsr uh, I, like i said in my first interview i was working at fort knox's illustrator and i'll uh i was um we just hired in a new batch of illustrators because like I said, after Vietnam, they were doing a lot of manual, manuals, like to more modern-day warfare. So they had, had to hire some new people, and most of them were young artists straight out of uh, college. Um, and um, and so it, it was a lot of fun. I was, I, you know, I'd been out of college. I was, about, I was in my late 20s then. And um, this one guy, Mark Irwin, he... Um, he was really into fantasy. Well, they were all into fantasy, all the new guys, because by then fantasy had started to, to hit. Uh, and D&D had, well, at that time, D&D wasn't out yet. Was, you know, in, probably around 75 or something, mm-hmm. 74, 75. And my friend, he had this little world, and uh, and he had, he just made up these characters that um, that was in his world, you know. And we talked about it, and I'd, I also had an idea of making a little world with characters. And what inspired me was there was an artist back in the 70s, 60s. It's called Von Baudet. And if you've never seen any of his work, you can look him up on the Internet. Uh, at that time, there was not many places to publish stuff. And um, you'd have to look for, if you stumble across an artist, a current artist, you'd have to see try to find where he was published at, you know, mm. to see more of his stuff, and it was really hard to find. Um, but he was in, um, he popped up in a few different magazines. I would check everything out to see if I could see any of his work. Or, and um, he did, this was a time of the hippies, and, and uh, 
free spirit and everything. And he had this uh, little character called Cheech Wizard. Mm. And he lived in this weird world. And um, and all the women in that world, most of was, everybody in the world, I think, was about three feet tall. You know? <laughs> and, mm. and he would draw some of the sexiest little short women you'd ever seen in your life. Little <laughs> barbarian girls. And, <laughs> outer space stuff and and, and his stuff was pretty cerebral it was you have to think about it or he hit on topics uh, that was part of that uh, sort of underground or pop culture at that time uh, a little bit of the underground side and I loved his work and I, I from seeing that I, I was wanting to make a little world of my own of some type and I'd already been working on some characters trying to draw something and so when I met um Mark, he had developed a, a really nice world, too. And actually, I'll throw this in just for the fun of it. During that time, he and I was designing uh, things, and he was designing some stuff from his world. And uh, his world was had more of a mixture of time periods. In, and it would seem like it took place, it was fantasy, but... A lot of the clothing was like in the 30s gangster kind of stuff. And he had these little characters. And we was actually designing cars and stuff that were around steam. So we was doing a little steampunk stuff way before steampunk. Mm. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, he had his world. I thought, well, I got my world. I'll start working on that. And so I would think about it and draw characters. And then I'd, I'd fiddle with this for several years and and was Mark's world too, we'd talk about his world. And so when I got hired at TSR, it was about my first, it was my first year there, I think, within my first year, and maybe it was in 82. Anyway, because I was hired in 81, but anyway, uh, Kim Ohan, he was the editor of Dragon Magazine. He walks into our room where uh, most artists was working, well, I was in two little rooms, at that time, above the old hotel, before TSR got a building of their own. And he made an announcement. He said, we're going to run, we want to run like a three-page comic strip in the back of Dragon Magazine. And it's open to anyone in the world that wants to send in any uh, ideas. And we'd like them to do five pages, and then we're going to read them all and pick out the one we like best. And they'll be published Every month, and you get $100 a page, it'd be $300 a month. Well, at that time, that was like a lot of money. And I'm like, I could use extra $300 a month. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, can we do it? He said, yeah, that's what I'm in here telling you guys. Not just so you know, but because first thing I thought was Mark. And um, he said, um, no, we'd like stuff from you guys. And um, uh, so I said, okay, five pages when you have to have me give us a deadline. was like two or three weeks. And so I went home and, and, um, I'd had my little snuff character pretty much the way I wanted him. And I made him a little difficult to draw because I didn't want anybody to just rip him off. So really I can tell if somebody else draws him because, um, uh, it's not as easy as it looks. <laughs> and, um, and I also wanted some cute women, but you know, like, boat ahead but I made them normal size women and uh, and since I was working at TSR and like fantasy I just put it in a fantasy world and so I didn't know and I thought I gotta, what am I going to do I need five pages so I thought I just started the story and I just sat down and, and um, the story came to me 
um, the, to kick the OO. And, um, and it's like, uh, uh, and I love making up little intelligent creatures. You know, it's not, they don't look like a, a dog or a cat, but just creatures. It's little short creatures. It's, um, uh, that's intelligent and, and, uh, it's a mix with humans, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as far as culture and everything. And so, um, I came up with this character and, the premise for the little five-page story was the king of the village had died under uh, embarrassing situations that they didn't. He didn't go into details. So <laughs> he said, "We need a new king." And so the mm-hmm. way we do a king is anybody that wants to go out into the world and whoever gains the, mo- the most uh, acquires the most fame and fortune uh, will be the next king, and you have a year to do this. And uh, and so you got one year to go out and make a name for yourself, you know, or either bring out a lot of money back into the village, one or the other. And so Snarf was like, I picture him as sort of a, uh, a uh, 18 or 19 years old, I guess. And uh, if he's comparing to human years, you know, yeah. I don't know what the early years are, but the human years. And he decided that would be his opportunity to maybe do something because he didn't really have any great skills. And, um, and so I, I just started it off and it just, within the, the first three pages, it started writing itself and I felt very familiar with the character and, um, and for the little five pages I had a, I set the story and had a little, uh, incident, I don't know, um, where Snarford went out into the world first time he'd really ventured far out and, and, uh. So anyway, he he was more of a guy. Like, see, wasn't uh, didn't have great skills at any particular thing, but he was determined, and he was a schemer, and he was a pretty good talker. He thought he was. He could talk himself mm-hmm. out of stuff. A little cleverness. And um, and that was his skill set, you know. <laughs> and, and and I guess tenacious. He didn't like to give up. He stayed with something, you know. If, especially if he thought there was money in it. And, um, or it would, it would help him, you know, uh, for his purpose. And, um, so Kim came back later and he said, well, we read all the entries and he said, Larry, we like yours the best. It's very interesting. He said, so we'll need three more pages, uh, this month. And I'm like, hmm? okay. So I went back and, and again, the characters just took over. He did. And. The stories just came, and it's like I followed them. The only rule I had was you'd have to move your characters from one situation to another or physically move them from a village to a village or this or that. And I'd always, you know, basically move your characters from A to B geographically. And I would try to, or even A to B within the plots. And I would just think of what would be the stupidest way to get there, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like if you just... Like, we're going to walk to the next village. Okay, that's boring. They can start out walking, but something's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so what would happen? And and then I would, uh, as I introduced more characters, they, you know, they got their own personalities. And and really it started writing itself, so I had no problem writing it and illustrating it. And um, I loved it. And I think, I know at one time, 
Well, I didn't know uh, back then what numbers was for what was good numbers for a comic strip or what was good numbers for a comic book. I thought a comic book like Superman or Batman sold a million copies or something, you know, mm, yeah. or hundreds of thousands. I didn't know. And uh, Kim uh, Mohan, the editor of Dragon, told me after about three years into it, he said, you know, he said, we can gauge by fan mail about how many people have followed you. And he said, you've probably got 100,000 people following your strip. And I said, well, that's good. That's more than respectful. Well, I don't know if that's any good or not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, um, but I enjoyed doing it and, and it kept gaining popularity. And, uh, and the only reason I quit doing it was because I went freelance and um, I was so booked with freelance work, I couldn't get the time. So I know the last couple of issues, I had a friend of mine ink some of the background, Steve Sola. Uh I'd done the characters and stuff. It just, I could not get it done on time. And I thought, I can't, I'm not going to shorthand it. I'm not going to ruin it because I don't have time. I just quit. Mm. And so I, I quit around, I guess, 87 or 88, 87, I guess, somewhere out of there. But it had such a following when I started going to conventions, I, I couldn't believe it, you know. And, and um, people kept asking me for more stories. And uh, so I did get to add a couple more little stuff, some dry, uh, little four or five page stories in Dragon Magazine. Uh, they would want I guess it was request people wanted to see some more of it, and I would take time out to those. I think a couple of those were color. Mm. Um, and um, but over all these years, I've had zillions of people ask me more about it. And if I'm ever going to do any more stories, well, now there's not any real publications you could put it in. You know, mm. like back then there was Dragon Magazine. There was different magazines about you know fantasy and gaming, and there's not that today. Uh, some people suggest do it online. Well, I can't do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> it's time consuming. And, and, uh, but I did work on a story off and on. And uh, I had, uh, uh, then I ran a Kickstarter on that. Uh, this was about five years ago, four years ago, about four years ago, four, three or four years ago. And uh, it was a new 46 page story all color. And uh, I did a Kickstarter and done real well. And um, so it's at that time I thought if I can make three hundred a month from that thing that'd be fantastic, you know. And I guess the comic strip over the years has made oh god who knows four hundred thousand or more scattered out over these years. I never dreamed it would make that much money because I I'd, I'd put all the stories. Oh, the main thing I asked him when when. He's going to do that strip. I said, do we own the rights? Or do you, <laughs> or Dragon own the rights? He said, no, the artist owns the rights. I said, okay, that's good. Because yeah. I wasn't going to give this away. Uh, it was a personal thing, you know. Well, yeah. And so, because I had the rights, and I, I published the whole story, all that was in, it was published in Dragon, plus the color stuff, and and then the new story. So the, the, it, it's, it's done quite well for me over the years. Wasn't it? Um, wasn't it supposed to have been made into like a video game at some point? Yeah, uh, the guy that does my web- website, he's a computer genius, and uh, <laughs> he even teaches computer stuff. And 
uh, he's a super, super tech man, and he, he does really well for himself. But he was a super Snobquest fan. And uh, after uh, he wanted to know if he could do a, a game, just a simple game, but he's he's worked really hard on it. It was done out of his passion for Snobquest. Mm-hmm. It wasn't done as a big moneymaker because he knew that, Softquest wasn't Superman or Spider-Man or something like that. Yeah. It was, it, it had its own following. and But he's done quite well with it. He's, he loves it. And it's, he's got good reviews on it. It's, it's, it's the graphics are good, and uh, but it's more like the old point and click. Uh, I mean, the characters move and they talk and everything, but you got to figure out puzzles. And he's so good at it that I can't even figure them out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But some of it is taken from, if you'd read all the Snarquest, he used a lot of those settings and stuff, you know. That, and if you'd read the, the Snarquest stories and everything, it would help you in the game. So, hmm. but um, it's but when he did that, and I I was needing uh, someone to run my website, and he volunteered to do it. So, um, so it's worked out great, you know. <laughs> Nice and, uh, I still I would love to snarf right now, but I can't do it for free, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was it was really fun doing it. It wrote itself, and it had a lot of lot of stuff. I pulled a lot from my childhood because I spent all my childhood roaming around out in the woods and climbing cliffs and everything else, rolling rocks off of big cliffs just to watch them knock down trees, <laughs> things like that, <laughs> and. Uh, and a lot of that stuff is, is in there, and, and it's true stories that happened to the people that some of my relatives and stuff years ago, and and uh, that was really stupid and funny. I put those things in, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, but it was really fun to do. It really was. Well, yeah. I, I well, there's always kind of this this. I don't know if it's nostalgia, but there's there's always going to be this segment of people. It kind of reminded me when I saw it of, of like the old uh, was it Dragon Quest that they used to have in yeah. the in the in the yeah. arcades and things like mm-hmm. that. It's just got that kind of yeah. feel to it, and it's just mm-hmm. it. There needs to be more just simple fun like this. So much of the video yeah. game world is dominated by I am insert military or pseudo military person with a gun. I am shooting. Uh, so having a little bit of, of variety helps to keep everything yeah. fresh. So and well, it, it goes back with me with that. When I, when I grew up, I loved the old Warner Brother cartoons. Before they was all edited, um, uh, Doug Spunny, Daffy Duck, uh, Foghorn Leghorn, all those, and they were those those uh, um, cartoons were made for adults as well as children. Yeah, um, there was adult humor in it. Uh, that little kids wouldn't catch, you know. And um, but it was, you know, your your dad could sit there and watch it with you, and you both die laughing. They were actually funny. Yeah. And um, I remember when my kids were on when I was working at TSR, and uh, Saturday morning they were showing all uh, all the old Warner Brothers cartoons. And I, I was walking through the house one Saturday morning. And I said, "Oh, those are great cartoons." I said, "I loved them when I was growing up." And I sit down and watch about three with them. Well, they had been edited to death. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm like, it's, and the kids were like, you know, what's so funny about it? I'm like, 
well, it's been edited where it don't even make sense, you know. Yeah. Well, there's and so much. I hated changed. that. I hated it because it was, it was funny, really funny stuff. I, I get, and, I get uh, some of it. I mean, some of it is is more than a little. Some of it is more than a little insulting in today's yeah. standards, but some in of today's it, standards, yeah. But some of it, I mean, at the lot of it, just the the violence is edited out. I, I yeah. don't quite understand that part. Well, the whole thing yeah. was about violence. I it, mean, yeah. it was cartoon violence. A kid, as young as I was, watching it, and other kids watching, they knew that there was cartoon violence. It wasn't real. You couldn't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, kids. What gets me? Kids have got. They worried about those cartoons, but then a kid now he's eight years old and playing. Video games that are very, very violent and graphic, oh, yeah. and uh, so you know what's a big deal? You know, if if kids can play these games today and they don't go out and well, we have more shootings than we used to. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> if if they didn't go out and kill people then, then, then they sure wouldn't have done it with the little Warner Brother cartoons. You know, uh, certainly, uh, certainly uh, a, a difficult topic. But we will, we will yeah. not tread those waters today. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking more like well, Wiley Coyote, I, I, I you know, and yeah. Roadrunner. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, it, 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 he's absolutely right. We we grew up on the same kind of cartoons, yeah. and and it, yeah. it, it holds a special place in our heart. So yeah, it does mine too. So and uh, it's more innocent times, I guess. But uh, uh, I was uh, I consider myself I was a a good parent and a strong mom. Both my kids grew up well. None of them done anything violent. They both got good jobs, like good money. But I watched what they watched. I mean, I didn't, if I thought something was too graphic, too violent, and I didn't care what age you were, if I thought it was too much, you're not going to watch it, period, you know. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you've got to control your, your kids, what they do. You can't just, I know if I wouldn't control I'd probably end up in jail. <laughs> Back then. <laughs> uh, I had pretty strong parents and religious, so... Uh, but I had a very big wild streak in me, which I I let it out through snarf. I let it out through fantasy paintings and everything else. And <laughs> yeah, seems seem to serve you well. Good outlet. Yeah. yeah, just channeled it. Yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> so, as you as you finished working with uh, with TSR and decided to kind of go your own way, yeah. Um, so was it? Did you start Elmore Productions immediately, or was it something that just kind of evolved over the years? Uh, it, it evolved. Uh, no, I just uh, well, I quit, and then Keith Parkson quit uh, about two months out. We'd already talked about it. We we just thought TSR was going to go under soon because everybody was fighting over who owned the company, and it was yeah. going farther in debt, and they were making products that weren't selling, crazy, stupid stuff. I think I touched on that last time. They yeah. was, was getting other companies to make games for them that we knew wouldn't sell, but the management thought they would sell, and of course they didn't play any games at all, so how did they know? You know? So we were losing money, and so Keith and I went out and just got us a studio um, over a sports bar, uh, and um, so we we'd, I was, like I said the last time, I was doing freelance work, I had two full-time jobs working at TSR and doing freelance on the side. Well, Keith started that as well. And um, so when we quit, the only thing, we couldn't do any competitive work for TSR. You know, anything in competition with TSR, basically no role-playing games for a year. 
Mm. And uh, so we honored that. But TSR kept us busy doing their stuff for a year, too. Uh, and so then, well, we worked, oh, God, we worked 24 hours a day just about. It's, it's hardly, our studio was hardly ever empty. If, if I wouldn't pull an all-nighter, Keith was pulling an all-nighter. Uh, and then uh, Bill Willingham, are you guys familiar with him? I, I know the name. Okay, he worked at TSR. He's also, he's done about everything. Uh, he wrote some popular books and everything else. So he come drifting through. I think he was living in the state of Washington, but then he comes drifting back through Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, seeing old friends and got to talk to us and he decided to stay. I think Bill just traveled with everything in his car is about it. Mm. <laughs> so so he started sharing the studio with us too. So three of us was in the studio and and we just stayed busy answering phones and uh, and stayed booked up and was told about everything. And uh, so is that how so you got into there the wasn't conventions? A drought. I mean, we we hit the ground running and never stopped. Honestly, I gotta say, and I'm surprised at this, but I never ran out of work my whole career. Now, I never, I never did really. I didn't have time to try to get new work or or target publishers because I was too busy doing doing stuff already where people call me. So I look back now and. I think I should have been choosy and maybe went after certain jobs, certain companies, but to me it was just fun painting and drawing and I was staying busy and I had a family to feed and so I, I just did what the work came in, you know, and just stayed busy. Well, they always say that when you're doing what you love, it's not really work anyway, right? Yeah, that's right. Somehow, I, I, I don't know if that's entirely true, <laughs> but... Well, it's, it's about 90% true yeah. because... I started at one time I, I was burnt out on just doing book covers and everything and in a sense I was spoiled a little bit because TSR didn't really have a what you'd call an official art director they didn't tell you what to paint they let the artist decide they would we'd talk to an editor or somebody that, whoever wrote the game or whoever wrote the book we would talk to them and get a feel of it and then we would come up with um, what we thought was a good cover and that was fun. When I started freelancing, I realized, oh, you've got art directors that actually art direct you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't as much fun. And then some of it, just, it got to the point I was doing such stupid paintings that I couldn't do nothing with them. I mean, you do a good fantasy painting, you, you got paid for the for doing the painting. Uh, you could also sell second rights to another company, maybe, and make some more money off of it. Then you could always sell the original, make more money off of it. It was a good, solid painting. Well, it got to the point. I was the fancy books, especially going into the late '90s, stuff was getting so silly, and they was doing different angles and different things to, you know, I don't know. And I was doing a lot of covers. It was just I hated doing them, and. Uh, or you get you know, or get art directed, and the art director didn't really do the art directing. And the editor did the art directing. A words person edited the visuals, and um, so then I started doing private contract work. I thought 
that way I can paint what I want to paint. Well, no, that was worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd have people wanting the stupidest paintings you ever heard of. <laughs> and my heart wasn't in it. And so I hated doing that. I went, what am I going to do? You know, it's, uh, well, I was getting invited to a lot of conventions. So I did a lot of conventions for a couple of years. And I said, I can't keep this up. I'm getting tired of these conventions. You're on the road all the time. And it's making good money selling prints and stuff. But, but it's like, I want to paint. And uh, so I decided uh, I finally figured a way to do my own work and sell it. And uh, and because um, what was a problem most illustrators, I've talked to a lot of them at the time they've got 20 years in illustrating or 15 years or when they're about 45, 48 years old, they're burnt out. On it. They want to paint their own work. If they're serious painters, they want to paint their own stuff. Yeah. And uh, that was my big thing. I was serious about my art. I wanted to paint. I had plenty of ideas. I want to paint my own. And uh, But if I did a painting, and what do you do? Run out the side of the road and hold a painting up and say, somebody buy this so I can pay my bills next month? You know, you you couldn't do it. You had to figure out a way to sell your art. And uh, uh, I finally did. And... Um, and so then I started doing some of my own paintings, and I was really happy. And then I did a Kickstarter on a big book, which big art book, which set a record at the time, was the most backed fantasy book. And um, so made a lot of money, and and then I did a black and white too. I did a big book. These are big, thick books. They were about five or six pounds a piece. The old, <laughs> and, the old coffee table books. Yeah. And uh, they so I still sell them. Uh, I, I think I did those in fourteen, so it was four years ago when I found well the first one, the big color book, and it still sells really well. And I put about everything I could at that time in it. And um, um, so that book alone, it paid off all my bills, whatever. I never, you know, I got really squared away, and and uh, then I went ahead and did a the black and white book and then the Snarfquist book. And they all did really well. And that takes me up to like two years, a year or so ago. And then I had about four commission pieces left over I had to get done and I got those done. So <laughs> this last year has been the first year. Well, I finished the last two commission pieces this year. And oh, the, well, last year and this year. And then and I was free to do. And so far this year, I've got to do two of them all. And, uh, but then I've got some another commission work coming in from um, some very wealthy people. And some of them are work for Hollywood and everything else. And, and I, my new rule on doing commission work is before I do a commission piece, I gotta ask you two questions. One, what's your subject matter? And if I don't like it, I, I just say, no, I'd rather paint my own paintings, you know. But if I like it, that's like, well, okay, the second thing is, I want to paint it my way. Will you let me do that? And if they agree to that, then I enjoy the painting and they get a better painting out of it, you know. That makes sense. If I like the subject matter and I get to paint the way I want to, then, yeah, you put your heart and soul into it. If you're painting something you don't like from the very start, no matter how much money they're paying you, it's... it's 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 work. It's it's not fun. It's you're forcing yourself to get it done. You know. 
you're fighting your own mind in a way to yeah. do it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just like going back to illustrating somebody, uh, illustrating with bad art directors, you know, like, mm. <laughs> this is what we want. Like, God, that would suck. Well, that's what we want. <laughs> All right. Got to pay the bill. <laughs> well, you know, we were talking to David Wong not too long ago, who manages yeah. to hit a lot of the same convention circuits that that uh, you do. In fact, I think his goal is to hit every convention circuit. No, oh, yeah, he said like fifty-two weeks a year, he's doing something. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I, I got up to about fifteen conventions a year. Ugh. I did it about three years, and that was it. I never done more hours. I just that's that piss on man. Well, it takes a ton of time when, when we were talking to him because you're talking about you know finishing your, your pieces of artwork and he was talking. It's yeah. like okay, after we're done here, I, I'm gonna work until about four or five in the morning uh, working on my commissioned pieces of artwork. It's like, yeah. my word, when do when do you sleep if you're always at a convention or doing that? There's no time for anything else. Well, you can't. That's uh, I, I thought at one time I just weaned myself from sleep. You know, <laughs> you can't do. But I would easily put in. Uh, 16-hour days, uh, basically two days in a day, two eight-hour days. I've done that for years. I moved back to Kentucky, um, built a house and everything. That's where I'm living now. I saw my wife's family and my family, which that was a good move, we thought. And my children were, were in school. And I thought, we'll move back. And they get to know their relatives better. And um, so that was a bad choice because uh, <laughs> now my wife's got a family of nine brothers and sisters and um, and then uh, uh, just all the family around here there's always something going on all the time we gotta do this we gotta do that I'm like oh my god I thought when my kids were out of school and grown and married on their own I'd have all the time in the world but <laughs> Now the reverse is happening. It's like, oh, we got to get together and do this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's always a birthday. I enjoy it, you know, but yet I got to paint. Well, when are you going to retire? Like, I don't retire. Get that through your head. <laughs> uh, if I won the lottery, I would do exactly what I'm doing, probably the same. How I would hire a professional team to just clean my studio. Mm-hmm. That's all I'd do, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Gives I know more time to, can get. Yeah, it gives you more time yeah. to paint. Because all I want to do is paint. I just want, I got, I only got so many years left. And uh, I never, getting old never fazed me. I didn't even think about getting old. I mean, I was still partying all night at Dragon Con when I was 65, you know. Mm. And uh, I mean, literally all night, <laughs> every night. Yeah, the way it should be. And uh, be in my booth the next morning and, and, not feeling too good, but smiling and signing and selling and and uh, and then, well, I was sixty four. Then the next year, sixty five. I decided, you know, I am sixty four, sixty five, sixty four. It was. So I think I was just going to do some clothes. I'll just eat something and go to my room and watch TV and go to bed. And I did that. I couldn't believe how refreshed I felt the next day. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I, mean, I think I kept the partying out so much. I mean, I still like to have fun with the group and everything, but it's not every night. And um, so, uh, I started slowing down a little bit on that part of the scale when I was around 65. And I still didn't feel, I still done everything I always loved to do. Uh, uh, 
I rode, I, at that time I had two Harley Davidsons and a hot rod and I drove them like I stole them, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't worry about dying or getting killed. I just, I sort of lived my whole life. There. I didn't, I, I told my wife when I married her, I said, I never, never lived to be 50. And she said, why not? I said, oh, just the way I am, I'll probably kill myself some way accidentally. And, uh, and I come close to it a few times just out of stupidity. Uh, not on purpose, just doing something stupid, you know. What's those famous last words is, hey, what's this? You know. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden I woke up this year and I turned 70. I'm like, 70, what the hell? How'd you know, that happen? What happened? You know, uh, I still feel the same. I'm painting better than I ever did. Actually, my painting, uh, there's a couple of paintings I just did my, for myself, especially when I'm working on one now, are really, really good paintings, you know, for me. And um, and I really enjoy it. I'm trying to paint and see how good I can get before I die. You know, yeah. I've always been in competition with myself and dead painters. You look at other painters and see what they did with a brush and oils, and like, oh my God, oh, see what I can do before I die—the best I can get. You know, <clears throat> I always try to keep growing. You know, with my art, never, never. I've seen a lot of artists, they sort of hit a certain stride and that that's what they do from that, the rest of their lives is sort of the same thing over and over. And, and uh, I know, well, if a, an artist has his own look, I mean, you can always spot an artist's work by the way he paints. Um, yeah. And uh, especially if he's painting with brush, you know, real brush and real paint, you can tell. It's like your fingerprints in it. And... Um, some computer artists are doing that too, but, but not as many. But um, but I always believe to just keep growing, trying to don't paint the same thing over and over, or uh, uh, close to the same thing. Uh, just paint whatever inspires you, and follow your nose and see see how good you can paint it. Now that I've got, I can take the time. Most of my stuff don't have deadlines. I just paint it till I feel it's done. Give it my best shot. And, um, Do these I'm like? To, go ahead. I was going to ask about the like in, in in talking about these paintings, the commissioned artwork. When you yeah, when you take up on uh, take up some of these projects, does yeah. do any of the people who commission the artwork just say just paint whatever? Like I, I I don't I don't want you to do anything specific that I want. I want you to just paint whatever. That's what I want. I've had a, uh, a couple, that's happened a couple of times. Uh, when I was trying to figure out a way to sell my original art, I couldn't figure out, you know, like how do you, you finish the painting, so big deal, now you need to sell it. Uh, of course, I can make prints on it, but I need to, you know, I spent a month and a half painting this thing, I gotta get paid something for it, right? I mean, you don't live off of your good looks. <laughs> eh, at least just, I don't. Just hang, <laughs> and on, I, hang on the wall somewhere. <laughs> and so, I, I thought, I'd been thinking though for 10 years, how do I do it? How do I, I live in rural, a small town in Kentucky, okay? Hmm. So how do I take a fantasy painting, which I'd say maybe one and a half percent of the population on here likes fantasy art. So how am I going to uh, sell this piece of art? And, um, 
but I got to know it's sold. I can't just keep painting on and painting them, and hopefully somebody out there wants one. And in the meantime, you're spending all your savings living. And so I thought about it for years and years. And then one day I had an epiphany. It's like people, I'd be afraid to ask almost any artist just about, paint me anything and I'm going to pay you $10,000. That's a lot of money in my book. And uh, and to paint you anything, even though maybe you love his art, but he paints that one painting you don't like. Mm-hmm. There's always that possibility. So I thought, well, if I do a really good comprehensive drawing, you know, all the details. And so I did four or five pieces that way. I worked the drawing out, all the details. It's exactly what I want to paint. And I put them up on my website. And I priced them uh i was so burnt out then i thought i just i would love to do one of these paintings this year uh, one or two i want at least to be something i want to do so i priced them at around um i think the cheapest one was six thousand dollars and they were big big paintings and they were some of the best paintings i've done in years and years and um i mean when i finished them but i put them on website and i thought you know here's the complete drawing. Uh, this is a drawing. You're going to see what you're going to get. If you call me up, I'll tell you what season it is or what the color scheme will be. But you've got a total finished drawing to, to look at and see what I'm going to paint. And so I had the guy on my website. Uh, if you wanted to, from, to, to commission me on this painting, you just click, click on it. It said sold. And, um, and I thought, so I had five of them. And the ones I want to do the most, I put them the cheapest because <laughs> <laughs> I really want to paint them the most. But I want to paint all these. And anyway, it sat there for about three weeks and nothing. Uh, and then uh, there was one of them on there that was a possible commission, something I want to do. But the guy, uh, he never called me back. And... Uh, so I told the guy, and, and that one piece of all the, the five, that one piece I didn't like as much as the others. And I told my website guy, I said, put sold on that one. He said, well, did you sell it? I said, no, just put sold. <laughs> <laughs> so he put sold on it. Within the next two weeks, all the rest of them sold. Yeah. And the, the ones I wanted to do sold. And they were, and for the prices, people got most of these paintings were 30 by 40s, big paintings. And, and, and they were some of the best I could do at that time of my life. And that was just four years ago. And uh, some of them, my wife, which we had by, back, uh, I've tried to sort of bribe one guy to maybe sell them back to me or trading something for one of them. He won't do it. <clears throat> but anyway, I did that, and I, that worked. And I thought, well, uh, just so I got those paintings done, all of them but one, that's when I decided to do that Kickstarter, a big book. Well, that tied up for the next two years. And then I finally finished the last one of those five. And then by that time, I had two more commissions, two or three more commissions to do. But it took me a year and a half to get that color book together and, and out the door. It's big, a lot of work. 
And um, so, did not, so the last year, I've been working a lot of old commissions. So now this is the first year I'm back to paying my own stuff. But at least the new commissions coming in are, one of them is something I was going to paint anyway. And then the other two, they sound like really fun paintings. Uh, just typical, really big, bad fantasy paintings. You, know? <laughs> you can't and, go wrong uh, with that stuff. Yeah, I'm hooked on that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, so things are looking good now. Now I realize I'm 70 friggin' years old. I don't want to die of nothing. Uh, I got too much to do. I, I enjoy I, I love what I'm painting. I, I love uh, doing it. And I don't want to stop. I don't want to wake up dead some morning, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I might have some good genetics. I've got two or three cousins that are in their 80s. My mom's 89. My dad's 95. I had, uh, several aunts and uncles lived to be up in their 90s, 100. I had a cousin who lived to be 105. So I'm hoping I got a little bit of that genetics in me. Uh, I hope I can breathe through my 70s with no problems. Um, yeah, I, I think I think by by doing what you love, that that makes it a lot easier. I would expect it does. I think if you keep your mind working and 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 enjoy what you're doing and stay involved in life, I know back in the in the seventies, I knew a lot of people that finally uh, got to retire. You know, they'd worked their whole life on a job and they turned sixty five or something. They retired from their job and got to Social Security and everything else. And they died within a couple of years. I knew five or six people did that all in about a two-year period of time. I'm like, holy cow, I'm never going to retire if you just retire and die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but a lot of people then, they was retiring and sitting back and doing nothing. Basically, their brain told their body that, you're done. I'm done. All you're doing is watching TV and drinking beer or something. You know, you're not doing anything. You're done. And I think your body has a way of shutting you down, you know, when you're done. Mm. and um, as long as you're not done and I've told my wife this I said you look at a lot of creative people if they enjoy what they're doing writers, singers, actors artists all of them, if they enjoy what they're doing and they keep doing it let them live in their 80s and stuff and still doing their thing you know um, some of them into their 90s but um I probably believe that. I'll probably die next week or something. But anyway, <laughs> don't do that. Um, no, no, that, that that would be terrible. I don't want to have to, to post up a description. Well, we talked to we talked to Larry, and well, yeah. unfortunately, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you fell over for something that no. killed him. That would but be... um, but yeah, I think if you stay active, your brain stays active, and it it, it, it it tells your body this guy's still working. He's still valid. Keep everything going. You know. Keep the heart ticking. Keep the blood circulating. Keep going, you know. Um, and uh, that I think that's important. And, and, and if you don't feel you're done, you know, uh, people always ask me, what's my favorite printing? I say, hopefully the next one. I'll get one right. And with that kind of attitude, there's no ending to it. And I know there's no end until I die. And so I want to do as many as I can, and many paintings and good ones right now. Uh, and be picky with commissions and uh, I'm pretty lucky now I don't really have to do commissions but um, uh, uh, some of them sound so good I'll do them you know Um, 
it'd be a fun painting. In the meantime, I'm trying to work some of my own in. I, I'll be doing another painting. I've got another one on the board, one of my own. I want to do that. I don't, I don't want to sell that one either. And uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'll be doing all these paintings for myself, and my wife won't let me sell any of them. So <laughs> I start taking on extra commissions. <laughs> Just means you'll have a legacy. That's mm-hmm. that's what that is. Christmas presents for the kids. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Speaking yeah, of the, the kids, kids will end up with it all, yeah. So you say you got a couple of kids. Um, yeah. Did they kind of take inspiration from you and also follow in an artistic, you know, direction, or they they go a well, completely different way? When my daughter was in college, she was dating a ended up dating a guy she married. But um, when uh, they were dating, he started college, and and uh, well, he was in college when they started dating, and he was an art major. She said, "If you're going to major in art, I will never marry you." Hmm? He said, why not? He said, you'll work yourself to death. And uh, you'll be working all night and all day, and you won't be able to do things because you've got to paint, you've got to work. So he changed major, majors. <laughs> now he's making more money than most artists do, but he's doing good. <laughs> she became a pharmacist, and uh, but she's very talented. She's very creative, and she's really good. I think she's found her love. What she likes to do is... She's got two little girls, and every year she goes, well, every holiday or whatever, she uses it for the excuse to do bake cakes and cupcakes and everything with themes, and, and some of the stuff she does is unbelievable. I don't know how she, she's creative when it comes to baking and I, I, all this stuff. I don't know what the proper term for it is, but, I mean, this stuff looks so good you don't want to eat it. It's beautiful, <laughs> you know. And uh, and she loves doing it. I mean, I would never put that much time into something without loving it. That's for sure. Especially if you're gonna try and eat it. You can't keep yeah. it forever. Yep. Take a picture <laughs> and, of it. Uh, That's about it. Yeah. yeah, but she was. Uh, she's very creative that way. And um, she's got a creative mind. And uh, which well. is sort of bad because pharmacy is not uh, not real really creative. Uh, you're filling prescriptions and. And I think she's gotten in trouble a couple of times when people are coming for getting their prescriptions and it's just for drugs and she knows what it is and she gives them a lecture and they get pissed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you fill the Oxycontin uh, prescription three days ago. It was should have lasted a month and now he's back and he said the, the dog ate it or it fell in a commode or something. He wants it again. Like, no way, Jose. <laughs> Well, but anyway, and my son, his, he was very artistic. But again, I think um, they were around it so much, and they saw that it wasn't magic. Uh, that it's work. It's actual work, and I and I worked long, hard hours. I had a stroke when I was forty-three. Uh, uh, I've had three heart attacks. Um, it's all from, I've had to change my, a few habits. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, imagine. I had genetic high cholesterol and genetic type 2 diabetes, and I would pay much attention to either one of it. So I was forced to start eating better and doing things better. But it was going to kill me if I didn't. And, uh, well, after I got four stents in my heart. But, uh, 
dad's got two, I think. He's had open heart surgery and he's 95. My mom's got three stents and she's 89. And it's like, well, I can probably keep these old stents going, maybe. <laughs> Get some new stents thrown in there just in case. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> but I'm not really afraid of dying. Uh, I just don't want to. Um, well, nobody wants to, but I mean, it's like, I feel an urgency to just paint as much as I can to do some of my best work I can. I, I just, I got too many ideas. They never stop. They never stop. Well, we're certainly glad that that's the case. Or at least I know I am. I have, uh, I've enjoyed your work for many, many years and I know I will, uh, continue to enjoy. I brought, uh, uh, Brought many friends into into that uh, the world that you helped to illustrate Thank and kind of give some life, and I just I'm I'm very thankful that uh, uh, I've had the opportunity to enjoy it and the opportunity to take this brief time to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, and Thank hopefully you. I, I enjoy it, and I think if if I could be an inspiration to some artists out there, that nothing comes easy. Mm. I mean. Oh, every once in a while, somebody wins the lottery. You know, a creative person, a, a singer, a musician, or a, an artist, or someone trying to get the movies will will get lucky and get that one super break. And in a way, I did by doing when I went to work at TSR. I, I didn't know I was winning a lottery, but in a way, I did because the game went viral like that. You know? And uh, but but it didn't make any difference. I was already being published, and it was out just hard work and. Uh, perseverance and and uh and if you love it enough to put the work in you will probably be successful you've got to love something especially the arts you've got to love it more than food more than anything just about then you have a good chance of being successful definitely definitely well what i would really want from our listeners now that we've had a couple of a couple of uh uh, conversations at length with you. I want yeah. I want our listeners in our forums to uh, post up any anything that you have. You know, just just memories that you have the first time yeah. that you saw a Dragonlance novel or something that uh, yeah. something that uh, Larry here was able to to grace us with, and 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 just kind of share a little bit of the stories with that. Or if That'd you uh, yeah. if you uh, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, uh, at Pudding Guys or at Real Pudding Guys. Real Pudding Guys. Uh, you know, tweet something out. Share something on Facebook. Uh, I'll tell you what, send me, send me an email with your stuff on there so I can start checking it out because I get to pay and I forget about everything. So <laughs> I do check my email at least twice a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you're busy painting, I, I have a feeling I, I have this vision of you in the studio and just completely absorbed of what's in front of you, and and that yeah. that is enough for me to to, <laughs> to enjoy almost. Yeah, my wife she'll she's retired now, so she's home and she does all my shipping and stuff, all the print selling. So she's really good at it, really efficient, keeps it up to date, and um, she'll be I'm. We go through my studio in and out of house. We use a studio door. So when she's going in town to do something, she she stops her. She says, I'm going to town. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. You know, about three things. If so-and-so calls or something or stops by, I tell them that's where I'm at. And I'm painting. She's telling me this stuff. I go, okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christy leaves her sister some color says, so Betty there? I go, no. Where's she at? I go, I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> she's not here. Last oh. time she'll tell me this <coughs> and she's gone an hour. And when she comes back in, and she opens the door, and I jump out of my hide, and I'm like, "Where have you been? I didn't know you was gone." She, well, I told you I was gone. I'm gonna go for three hours. So I thought you was here. You know. <laughs> oh. uh, so yeah, I sort of get lost in the, in the art. And, and painting is uh, is making a zillion decisions, you know. It's, it's nothing but making decisions mm-hmm. as you paint, as you go. And so you can't paint and um, uh, write a story or something at the same time. You can't do a whole lot. You can listen yeah. while you paint. That's all you can do, basically. You can listen. A little whistle while you work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's if, um, if, if it's something you're listening at. Uh, there's a story or something to you listen but when your wife comes by and tells you something without making you stop and turn around and look at her <laughs> then then I don't know what she said or where she's at you know I forgot <laughs> it never so yeah. fit <laughs> well well thank you again for taking the time well, with us you. and uh, we'll definitely have to touch base again here in the future or at least at the very or at the very least uh, maybe the next Gen Con you'll see the both yeah. of us walking around the hallways ooh, and ooh. stopping by yeah all right, that sounds good. All right, wonderful. <laughs>